All right, welcome. Good morning, church. Good morning, church. How are we doing today? Are we ready to hit this? Good? Awesome. Uh, for those of you who are tuning in online, thank you for carving out the time to do that. Uh, run and grab your Bible if you haven't already. Grab a cup of coffee. Grab some more to eat. Hit pause if you need to. Grab your spot on your couch. I know Lori is here, uh, and she really likes her couch, though, And but she is here. Uh, and so if you are like Lori and you love watching church from your couch, enjoy yourself. We're glad that you're uh, tuning in in this morning. Uh, we have been in this series called Hope in the Midst of Chaos, and uh, the Pope just alluded to it. I don't know if you've noticed this, but there's some chaos in the world at times. Uh, maybe it's today, maybe it's tomorrow, maybe it was a week ago, but we're guaranteed chaos at some point. And just so you know, we're not the only ones. If we could go back and interview those in the Bible, they would say, you don't even know what chaos is. Um, but it is for us. It is for the context of of our lives. And so we've been in this series where we're really looking at the book of First Peter. And, and this has given us incredible insight to culture. It's given us insight to how we are to live our lives in the midst of chaos. And I know there's a lot of people asking great questions on how am I supposed to live out my faith here and now in today's culture. And please, I beg of you, keep asking that important question, but keep digging for the answer that is found within these scriptures, partly in the book of First Peter. So go ahead and open up to the book of First Peter. If you're new to church, new to Christianity, really new to the Bible, the book of First Peter, it's the epistle, is towards the end of the Bible. If you get to the uh, book of Revelation or uh, kind of the index, you've gone too far, just head back to your left. First Peter chapter 4 is where we will be here at some point. Now remember that Peter uh, writes this epistle uh, that is attempting to figure out exactly what we just said. How am I supposed to live the Christian faith, how am I supposed to follow Jesus in a culture that's completely opposite to the things of God? That really, not only opposite to the things of God, has no interest in the things of God. Also remember, this is first century church. These are our brothers and sisters that came before us. They have been mocked. They have been ostracized in due time. They will be tortured. They will be beaten and they will be killed under the guise of gamesmanship. And Peter writes to these dear, dear people. Think about our church. Think about your church if you're tuning in online from maybe another state. Think about the people you know, the older generation, the younger generation, the, the widowed, uh, the people less fortunate that is the same type of people that are receiving these words from Peter. And it's very near and dear to them. A lot of nights up all night trying to figure out how do we do this. And Peter writes to give hope. Now, there are two schools of thought generally in regards to living out faith. 
one of them, maybe you can relate to this, uh, is the idea, that, the idea that Christians aren't of the world and they're not even about anything of the world. They're separate. If you're taking notes, that's a good word to write down in the margins. They're separate. They keep their noses clean. They, they don't uh, deal with the world. They really think, really the issue is Christians who dabble in the world and allow themselves to get too involved. And so they isolate themselves, almost like a, a Christian bubble to where I'm not going to view anything, see anything, hear anything, touch anything that isn't Christ-like. Uh, and then on the other hand, some will accommodate. That's another key word to write down. They will accommodate themselves to culture. In fact, they live a lifestyle that's really not altogether different from the world if you walk outside, you walk onto a university, you go to a football game, you just don't look or act much different. And one of the hard things, and I've had this said to me in my younger years is, I didn't even know you were a Christian. Peter writes for a third way. And here's what he says, don't isolate yourself from culture. Engage it. And if you're into writing notes in your Bible, this would be a great big word to put at the very top. Engage culture. Attend parties. Attend school. Make friends who aren't Christians. Join a school board. Uh, coach soccer. Join the local community board, the PTA. Integrate yourself into the life of your community. But do this, Peter says, while you live distinctively, that's another key word, distinctively within culture. Yes, engage yourself in your community. Yes, engage yourself in the culture around you. But do it in a way that you live distinctively. In your world, allow people to see the hope that you have of Christ. Don't surround yourself with a bubble. Don't ever not leave the house. Don't only just communicate with those who think like you. But as you jump out, as you integrate into the world, especially for people maybe going to college or just out of college, this is so critical that you integrate into the culture, but you live differently than the culture. And then be prepared to talk about why. We talked about that last week. To always have a reason for the hope that you have. And we also talked about this. That's the hardest way to live. The other two are much easier. Either to isolate and bubble wrap yourself and keep culture away or to run completely towards the culture and throw God away. It's a whole lot more difficult to integrate yourself into culture and engage it. But if we look at Jesus, if we look at the disciples, if we look at the apostles, that's what they did. They integrated neither isolated from culture nor accommodating to what's wrong with culture. And it's hard. But that's the way we're called to live as exiles or foreigners in a land that this isn't our home. That's our call. But as I've thought about this over the last couple weeks, there's a problem with this. 
There's a problem with living this way. And Peter talks about the problem in 1 Peter chapter 4, starting at verse 1. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up uh, to one of those. You can also just jump on the app. Uh, Uversion is a great app if you're using uh, your phone. Uh, There's several other apps uh, that, that use the Bible as well. And here's what it says from the New Living Translation. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain... You must arm yourselves with the same attitude that he had. Paul says, arm yourself with the armor of God. Peter says, arm yourself with the same attitude of Christ and be ready to suffer too. For if you have, to, if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. You've had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy. Their immorality, their lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties and their terrible worship of idols. And here, friends, spelled out very clearly for us is the problem. You see, the people that Peter writes to, they didn't used to be followers of Jesus. These are folks that still have a a very keen understanding of what their lives looked like before walking with God. Maybe some of you in this room, you still remember what it was like to walk without God. For some of you, you can't remember. You've been walking with Jesus for so long that the past is kind of a faded memory. For these people, they vividly remember life without following Christ. Some of them, like you and I, towed the line on the wild side here and there. And they remember it. And Peter talks about their former way of life in pretty blatant terms. In fact, if if Peter were to write today, it would be even probably more crass or or more truth being spoken. But this is about as good as it gets in biblical times. They lived without restraint and they did as they pleased, including drunken partying and sexual debauchery. This is what they did over and over and over and over. And Peter says at the beginning of verse 3, you have spent enough time in the past. That's not you anymore. It's time to move past that. You've done that already. You've lived that way. And if you have a lifestyle that Peter describes in your past, then you know that it may sound exciting to dabble back there. When when things are hard, especially when stress happens or when isolation happens and and you can't be around people, there is a tendency to want to go back to what used to comfort you. That former way of life. And Peter says, you've spent enough time doing that. And now you are called to a new way of life. A beautiful way of life. The problem is that some of the people who remember the way that these Christians used to live, they still remember the fun times. They still remember the partying. They still remember uh, ripping people off financially. And they're astonished that these Christians don't live like that anymore. Maybe uh, maybe you weren't a believer in high school and college. 
Maybe you became a follower of Christ as an adult. And maybe it's been 10, 15, 20, 25, 40 years since you've seen those friends. What would it look like for you to go back to a reunion and to show them that you were a son or, or daughter of God? For some of them, I know for some of my friends, their jaws would drop. They would drop even more knowing I'm a pastor. But my life has been changed. I've been cleansed. I've been made right with God. But many of my friends would freak out about that. We live in a day just like Peter's that it's offensive to follow Christ. Do you understand what I'm getting by that? Like, like no longer is it offensive if you follow Christ and try and push it onto someone else. That's what used to be offensive. Now it's getting to the point where if you are a follower of Christ and you're not uh, evangelizing or pushing it on anyone, that's offensive that you would think or believe such things. People don't mind a lot of things. In fact, they don't mind a lot of things about Christianity. Almost anything goes today as far as a valid lifestyle. Everything else goes. But people will draw the line when it comes to taking the exclusive claims of Christ seriously. I'll explain it this way. Tell someone that that you believe that Jesus is the only way to the creator. Don't even say God. To the creator of the universe. To heaven. To whatever the afterlife is. That Jesus is the only way. Tell them that sex, you believe, sex outside of marriage is not God's plan. In fact, it's wrong. Look to culture and say, I actually believe abortion is not only wrong, but it is a sin. Look to culture and say, not only I believe in heaven, but I believe in a hell for those who do not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Say those things and then sit back and watch. I promise you, if you are looking for discussion, you'll get it. Because that's the culture that we have today. But it's nothing new. It was the culture then as well. Only for us, we're not treated like the Christians were by the Emperor Nero. We'll talk about that next week. If you follow Christ, the result will be, not possibly be, the, the result will be living and believing in a way that is out of step with the prevailing values of culture, and it absolutely is going to cause you grief. There is no way around it. If, if you're at home or you're here today and, and you, you leave Rock Creek to, to go to school or you move somewhere and you're church shopping and you go anywhere where they preach that living a life of Jesus is easy and you will uh, not incur any kind of persecution or, or struggle, get out of that church and go somewhere else. Because the life of following Jesus guarantees you will have some grief. If you walk in step with Christ, this is the problem. This is the elephant in the living room that most churches, we don't want to talk about because what we mostly want to talk about is all the, all the great that comes with following Jesus. 
And there are more sermons that we can preach on that. Yes, but there is a problem because we will be out of step with culture. And one of the problems with the church today is we're still trying to stay in step with culture. We're still trying to be cool. We're still trying to make sure we don't offend culture. That everything we say, they're going to like. And I promise you, read this book. Read about this king. He is life-giving. He is life-saving. He is love, but he is offensive. And as a church, and as believers, we've got to somehow be okay with that. Because if we live faithfully, it will mean that we reject the path of least resistance. So we've got to keep teaching our kids, these kids that are getting ready to go to college, we've got to teach them, we've got to groom them, we've got to mentor them and disciple them. You can't choose the life of least resistance. You will suffer criticism. You will suffer condemnation if you are a light for Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's the hard part about the message. What do we do about it then? If that's the problem, then what do we do? How do, especially our young people in, in such crazy times that we're living in, how do we keep our eyes on the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and maintain some kind of sanity day to day? How do we do that? How do we endure and live faithfully when people will criticize us for our faith in Jesus Christ? And Peter says to do two things. Very simply, two things. Number one, he says, look forward. Number two, look back. We're going to unpack both of those because he does it very clearly within our passage. Peter says this, that we need to look forward in verses 5 through 6. He says this, But they will have to give, they meaning those who scandalize, those, those who slander, those who criticize, those who have faith in Jesus Christ, those people will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the Spirit. And Peter says, Oh, it's true. You are going to be judged. I love Peter. Peter doesn't like, he doesn't have time to smooth things over. He just says it like it is. You are going to be judged. But Peter says that we should look forward in that judgment. Way, 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 way forward. Not the immediacy. You, you all know this in the room, and if you're watching online, you know this to be true. You wake up and you go, what has happened now? Right? How many times have you turned on the news and go, or you know the worst thing I experience now is if you're watching the news and it says breaking news. And I'm like, now what? I, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for the unthinkable because everything's breaking news. It's the right now. And Peter says, don't focus on the breaking news. Focus way, 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 way forward. Because yes, as followers of Jesus, if you read all the way through the scriptures, especially the last book, called the book of Revelation, it will tell you we might be hauled before boards for our faith. We might be hauled before mayors and council members and judges, but one day, too, they will be hauled before the judge. 
And God will judge everyone. And because He will judge everyone, that means that today, right here, right now, with you sitting in your seat or your really comfy couch, God's judgment counts more than the judgment of those around us. Notice I didn't say their judgment doesn't matter. One of the most volatile places on the planet right now is not Afghanistan. It's not Iraq. It's not Atlanta. It's not L.A. It's not Minnesota. It's social media. That's one of the most dangerous places to be right now. And that counts. That matters. But if we allow ourselves to think far, 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 far on the day that Christ reigns again, that judgment counts more. And it allows us to be able to handle being out of step with culture because the scorecard that really ultimately matters is what God thinks, not what culture thinks. Now, I'm not saying this is easy. I'm just saying this is the life we're called to live. And not as individuals together to strengthen each other, to support each other, to, to empower one another, to pray for one another. So verse 5 says this, so that they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Today, most people believe that nobody can make a statement about faith that applies to everyone. That's considered illegal. You get a penalty. You can't make a statement about faith that applies to everyone. People think that a Muslim can make a statement about Muslim faith, but only if it applies to a Muslim. And people will think that a Christian can say anything about Christianity, but it has nothing to do with those who aren't Christians. But here, Peter says that God's grace, God's mercy, God's love, and yes, God's judgment, these are universal truths that will apply to every single person, whether they believe and acknowledge the majesty of Jesus or not. It's not just judgment that is awarded to them. Oh, it's, it's also his love. It's also his mercy. It's also his forgiveness. But judgment as well. And then Peter says something a little hard to understand in verse 6 about the gospel being preached to people who are now dead. Now, don't get too confused by this. He's talking about those who are now dead who accepted the gospel when they were still alive. You with me? They're dead now, but they accepted God. His point is that the gospel is so effective. Tell me anything that's more effective other than a coffin. Tell me anything that's more effective when you're dead as much as it is when you're alive. And Peter says that the power of the gospel is so powerful, it still affects the dead. 
We have a hope that outlasts death. Alex sang that song. It's one of my favorite statements. I have a tattooed on my body. Where, O oh, death, is thy sting? I've been to more funerals than I can count. I've seen more dead human beings than I can count. And I am convinced that I am convinced that I am convinced death does not have the final say. We serve a God that's bigger than that. And when it looks like we're missing out, and at times, let's just be honest, it will look like we're missing out. When it feels like we're missing out on all the fun, all the things that other people are doing that as a follower of Christ we don't do, when it feels like all of our friends are looking at us as the killjoy, and that, hey, we're just going to die like everyone else. Why don't I just have fun like everyone else is having? Yes, it's true, we all die, but you have a hope that goes beyond the grave. This is, this is what's getting Peter fired up as he gets ready to, to make his finer, final circle around the track and land his epistle. As Paul puts it in this way, Romans chapter 8, verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings, listen to what he says, I consider that our present sufferings, these are not bad days. These are not being out of work for a few months or being short on rent or having a boyfriend break up with you or not getting accepted to your college. These are because of your faith and trust in Jesus being put on a stake and set ablaze so that the party can have light. That's suffering. And Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings, I have no idea how he had this kind of faith. I consider that these present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us for all of creation is eagerly waiting for that day. And then Peter says in verse 7, the end of all things is near. We now live in the last stage of God's redemptive plan. In fact, I'd be tickled pink if he just came tonight. It would just be like the ultimate benediction. <laughs> like, like what pastor can say, and now we're done, and here's Jesus. That would be amazing. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I'm ready for it. But Peter says the end is near. And because of that, because the end is near, because there is a, a, a time limit on you, I, I'm kind of OCD when it comes to grocery stores regarding food and drink. I want to see the expiration date, and I want to stay like weeks away from that. We all have an expiration date. And Peter says, based on your expiration date, live in light of that reality. Think rightly so that you can pray. Have the same attitude of that of Christ Jesus. Think rightly so that you can live. Think rightly so that you can react to culture. And then he says this. I love this. Persist in loving one another. Persist. You ever have a persistent salesman? Man, they just won't let up. 
persist in loving one another. Be hospitable. Open your homes. Serve one another with the gifts that he has given you. Do this in light of the fact that you have an expiration date, in light of the fact that one day far, 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 far away, there will be a judgment of all mankind. Because of that, just persist in loving one another. Love till you have nothing left to love. In other words, live backwards. Live with the end in sight. Are, how many of you are the people who want to know the end of the movie or the end of the book before you watch it? Any of you? Sarah. Randy loves you. Some people want to know. Why? Because they can't handle the stress. We're watching a movie. It gets stressful. And it's like no one's breathing anymore in the room. And you just got to know, does she make it? No, she doesn't. Like people just got to know those things. And Peter says, you know the end of the story. Live in light of that. Live from the reality of the consummation of God's eternal plan. Allow that to be the driving force today, this moment, tomorrow morning when you wake up. Not what Fox News or CNN or MSNBC or fill in the blank or your Facebook thread, whatever you get your information, live in light of right now of what's coming not what is, so that you can live properly today. One of the best examples I've heard of this is a story of a man named Hugh McHale. I can't wait to meet Hugh. It was December of 1666, and Hugh McHale was a very young servant of Christ who was led out of prison and before a judge for his trial because of his faith in Jesus Christ in Edinburgh, Scotland. During that trial, he was given only four more days to live before he would be executed. He received that sentence and he began to march with his captors on either side back to the prison. In the crowd... All throughout the streets, there were men and women and children, and they were shouting and weeping and wailing for what was going to take place. But there were no tears in Hugh's eyes. He looked to the crowd as he walked back to prison, and he shouted, Trust in God! And then suddenly, he saw one of his friends a little bit farther away, kind of past the crowd up on a hillside. Couldn't quite see, but he kept looking back, and then he caught eyes. And his friend would look down and then look up. Look down and then look up, unable to speak. And then Hugh shouted to him, Good news. Wonderful news. I am within four days of enjoying the sight of my Savior Jesus. Hugh saw the future so powerfully that it was more real for him than death. Death seemed temporal. 
but he was about to see Jesus. Forward thinking. And Peter says, in addition to looking forward, we also have to look backwards. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because those who have suffered in their bodies, they're done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for human desires, but rather for the will of God. The therefore in verse 1 is referring to what he said in the previous chapter. We, we covered this last week. Specifically, chapter 3, verse 18, he said, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you, to present you, to offer you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And Peter says, look back to what Christ has done for you and realize that when you're united, forward thinking, in this way with Christ, you're done with sin holding you hostage. It doesn't mean you're done sinning. It just means you're done being chained to sin. It means you're done having no say about that sin. And it's not enough just merely to believe this. Peter says that we have to arm ourselves with the same attitude that Christ had. He's not saying that everyone who suffers is free from sin. We know that's not true. We know people who have suffered who are anything but free from sin. The risk is that you can become bitter and resentful as a result of suffering instead of more godly. And then we miss it. What Peter's saying is that when we really see Christ willingly embraced suffering for our sake, and when we understand that we're united with Christ in his death and have the same attitude and the same resolve, then we, yes, we will reduce sin because we'd rather suffer than sin. We'd rather have struggle and isolation and depression than allow that to move over towards a sinful action, thought, or deed. We are both sinners and saints. This is the dance we live as followers. But the more that we grasp what Christ has done on the cross, the more we'll experience freedom from sin. There's church. Because all of us need to be reminded of this, right? Last week, what did we say? Run to the gospel, run to the gospel, run to the gospel. Over and over and over, sprint to the gospel. But one of the keys is to look back and think about what Jesus did for you on the cross. The cross is so critical. What this means is that the death of Jesus Christ, when understood, comforts me when I profoundly fall. And friends, I fall. When I sin. And that love, that grace, that mercy that we've received was bought with an incredible price. And when we see what Christ has done for us and what it cost, uh, it will change us. 
And as the team comes up, that's why we worship. You ever have a friend that doesn't ever attend church go, why do you guys sing? You ever notice how that's weird? Nowhere else do you go to get together other than a bar to sing. And at that, Irish. Nowhere else do you go. Well, why do we sing? Well, you just heard it. That's why we sing. Because the gospel changes everything. And the change is in the midst of sin is found within the scriptures. Verse 8, Peter says this, Most important of all, continue to show deep love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Serve one another. Share your home. Share a meal. Help others. Lori does this like every day, all day. Speak truth. Love. Care. Sacrifice. Do this. And as you do these things, what the scriptures say is as you do them, God will give you the strength to keep doing them. If you've ever tried to do all of this on your own, you know what crash and burn is? <laughs> when you got like nothing left, it's often because you're, you're, it's on your own strength. But the scriptures, they're very clear. It says do all these things, what? With the strength that God gives you to do them. And as you do them, verse 11 says, then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. That means the most menial task that God puts in your heart that you do for another brings glory to his name. You might never see it. You might never know about it. Even when you're in heaven, he might not even reveal it, but you know it is happening. It's the most beautiful thing. God working in and through us. It's better than that not just working in and through us, working in and through us while sin is still present. That'll preach. It's one thing to God, that, that God would work in and through someone who doesn't have sin or in and through someone for the super Christian, but the scriptures say he is working in and through you even while you're sinning. That's amazing. He's working in and through your kids even when they're little turds. I don't even know if we can say turd. It's the most, it truly is the most beautiful thing. The Bible says, while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for you to get your act together. Last story. In the 1600s, English church theologian and professor of the University of Oxford, John Owen, said this. When we take our sins to Mount Sinai, in other words, to the law of God, and we try to do better motivated by fear, we can expect the sinful desires to get worse. We never get rid of sin because of self-effort or fear. If we try and deal with the power of sin by beating ourselves up or being afraid that God will beat us up, well, then sin's just going to get stronger. But if we want to be done with sin so that sin no longer has power over us, then we take our sin not to Mount Sinai, but to the cross of Jesus Christ.
And once there, we are reminded, as Peter has been trying to do on every page, how much God loves us. How much He cares deeply about you. About your marriage. About your finances. About your job situation. He cares about you raising kids. He cares about the next journey of life, maybe empty nester. He cares that your body's getting old and you feel like it's failing you. He cares about your health problems. He cares about your habitual sin. He cares that you can't sleep. He cares that you're sad. All while knowing our stuff. Man, we could just keep going. (laughs) I want to encourage you to keep diving into this book. Not just 1 Peter, but the whole Bible. You know, one of the things, um, we sent out a church survey. Side note, if you haven't filled that out, please do so. We sent out a church survey asking how people are doing, what they thought about reopening, and at the end, just some thoughts that you'd like to share with us. And it's incredible the amount of people that mentioned, I don't know where to look for hope, and I don't know where to find truth today. And if that's you, I don't know where you go to find truth or hope in the news. You have to ask someone else. But if you're looking for hope and truth for life, hope and truth that's everlasting, hope and truth that's life-changing and life-giving, I just implore you, please open the pages and see what God has done for you and what He still has in store for you. Let's pray together. God, I want to thank you for this man, Peter. I can't wait to meet him. I thank you for Paul. I thank you for all the writers of the Scripture that their hearts were obedient and able to absorb the guiding and prompting of your Holy Spirit for every word. Thank you for the hope that we have in you. And thank you for the courage and the boldness that you provide as you call us to live differently in this world, distinctively. And for those who that is an enormous struggle for them right now, would you please be very near and dear to them. Give them hope. Put some other people in their, in their life that will help give them some guidance. So God, thank you for this dear church. Thank you for the for the church all around the world that proclaims the name and majesty and lordship of Jesus Christ. We ask for more of you and less of us in all areas of our life. 
Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.